1: This is an interview with myself and B.J. Campbell. No, I don't interview myself, but it's me interviewing B.J. Campbell, who is the author of Hand-Waving Freak-Outery Blog. He studies, various aspects of the culture war, and I guess gun rights is another big issue that he tackles from a systems-thinking, data-oriented approach. Uh, He's really big into numbers. We don't get too into numbers, but we do investigate the culture war and how the way that media is set up is increasing the likelihood, he thinks, of all-out, internecine guns going off in the streets, conflict, and we investigate how to lay that possibility
0: I'm an engineer and I'm a nerd and mostly I stayed in my lane for a very long time you know but I'm also a gun owner and normally I would just kind of sit back in the corner and you know share libertarian memes and laugh and drink beer but um hmm. you know around I guess what year is it 2018 around towards the end of 2017 and beginning of 2018 just the you know the media outery has amplified you know, by leaps and bounds since the election, the Trump election. And people have got started getting a lot more personally hostile and social media and stuff, even with their friends. And, um, mm-hmm. and they started sharing a bunch of articles that were just kind of either objectively wrong or based on bad data or both at the same time. And it was driving me crazy. Having to, I haven't, I felt obligated to, keep correcting, you know, over half my friends are liberal and they're all just buying into this media stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I got so tiresome that I started saving the same, you know, long corrections so I could just copy paste them into Facebook feeds. Yeah. And then I was like, well, n- nobody, nobody reads those long ones anyway. So then I turned them into Facebook notes and then people are like, you should make this public so I can share it. And I was like, okay, great. But then they're going to be tied in my personal profile. And so I was like, is there a place I can stick them? So I stuck one up on Medium, and I cleaned it up a little bit, and um, I made the graphs a little bit nicer because I'm a nerd for data visualization. And, um, and it sat up there a few days, and then I decided to stick it over in the Libertarian subreddit, and bam, it was it was disgusting, the thing went viral. So like, holy shit, wow. Mm-hmm. I can click a button and make a little bit of money off this. This is way better than Facebook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're not and, losing any friends you're just gaining no, them.
0: well well i don't know i mean it's like i might if, if i am losing friends they're not at least you know they're not telling me about it So, hmm. and then um and
1: so, you did a series on gun control yeah, or at least did, gun statistics
0: yeah it was, it was six or seven articles depending on how you want to count them and um i just kind of pick, picked a topic and then dealt with that topic until it was done and moved on and kind of dealt with the next topic. And I was building a case to what I can see. I'm not opposed to changing gun laws, but if they're going to be changed, they need to be changed rationally and based on Mm -hmm. like reality instead of freak outery, you -hmm. know? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, um, and then by the time I had the thing done, I started looking kind of deeply at the traffic numbers in it. And I had this kind of realization of what was actually going on that had to do with, you know, social media and Facebook and everything. And I just like, you know, my mind exploded. I was like, oh, no, I think I can see kind of why, what's driving everybody apart here. And so then I started writing about that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, which really is kind of in order to understand any of that, you're, you've got to come up with some analysis tools to unpack the culture war itself, you know. And, then,
1: mm-hmm.
0: of course, those articles got no traffic because nobody wants to read about that. They want, by <laughs> they want to read about guns.
1: They want to be—they want to be driven <laughs> apart. They don't mm. want to know why yeah, they're being they, driven apart.
0: They want to know why, and they don't want to come back together.
1: Do you want to dive in a little bit into the current state of the gun debate, or would you like to talk about what's driving us apart?
0: I, I think what's I can't for? get to the driving us apart part until I tell you how I got to that topic because I got to run through sort of the stuff that was driving me crazy about guns, you know, mm-hmm. and um, which was really the 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 blue media because we have blue media and we have red media and there's very little like there's very little unbiased media in you know our space anymore i'm not biased and um and (laughs) And so um, far as that media yeah um well i don't know people on uh, i think everybody probably has their own biases and our own biases leak in and i gotta be i gotta be pre-action to my own my own biases too you know i'm kind of you know that libertarian popcorn eater in the corner with a tinfoil hat on occasion, you know, it's cause that's where it's fun for me to be. But, yeah. um, but at the same time, it's like, um, you know, I need to take those biases out And if I'm going to write about stuff, I want to try and write things as I want to try and analyze things as cleanly as I can. And so with the gun stuff, I just was like, I'm going to stick to math. Okay. And I wrote, I don't know, six or seven, it may be, depending on your account of maybe now eight gun articles, and I haven't mentioned the Second Amendment once. I've just been talking about the reality on the ground. is not being properly portrayed to anyone, not on the blue side or on the red side.
1: Yeah. The, one of the great, one of the articles that I read of yours that was really fascinating and educational for me, you talked about this group of people called preppers, like disaster oh, yeah. preppers, people who are preparing for the ultimate sure. disaster. And you just run through the math as mm-hmm. a statistical like almost an insurance analysis of like the likelihood yep. in any given lifetime of a major societal breakdown is actually much higher than we think it is if you just do the oh, math oh sure like sure sure so compound interest of cataclysm
0: that was that was my most successful article because it was the one that the medium editors chose to feature
1: mm-hmm.
0: and when i got into this thing i was under the presumption that they would never choose anything to feature out of anything that i was going to write because it's you pretty much got to be you know toad in a blue tribe you know backpack to be able to get on the front page of medium yeah and um and they picked that one they put it up there and i was surprised that that was the one they picked too of any of them that they could have picked yeah i can walk you through that and then maybe we can go backwards because that was kind of the end of the that was the epilogue kind of the series of articles
1: well why was um, it the epilogue then was it like a crowning um, uh, achievement was that where you thought you were headed the whole time
0: No, because it really, in my mind, it wasn't so much about gun policy. Because, to me, I mean, the first thing, you know, we need to throw the AR-15 debate out entirely. Because rifles of all kinds, like that means every kind of rifle, a bolt-action rifle, a Mauser, a whatever. AR-15 included, you know, deer hunting rifle. All rifles are responsible for, I think it's... 0.7 percent of gun deaths
1: okay
0: i think that's i think that's the accurate number and if i if i say any numbers in the podcast and they don't exactly line up with what i've put into the articles go by the article because i did wrote the article so i was staring at excel and i was working with the numbers right but uh, but it's like it's less than one percent and that's all rifles so then you know homicides with ar-15 rifles are going to be less than that I mean, I guess the third article in the series is called The Gun Homicide Epidemic Isn't. We don't have a gun homicide epidemic at all right now. We are in, if you do a five-year running average of homicide rate, overall homicide rate of all kinds, knives, baseball bats, suffocation, guns, if you do a running average of the homicide rate here in the United States over a five-year period, and you do that math for the entire last century – we are tied for a century low. Okay. Low, not high.
1: Uh, on we guns are sub- specifically or homicide?
0: All homicides. Okay. All homicides. We are under five per 100,000 right now. The last time we were that low, the Beatles released Hard Day's Night. It was <laughs> the 1950s. Huh. Okay. So if we want to have a conversation about homicide that's honest, the first thing we have to do is – pat ourselves in the back for having a homicide rate okay. that's so low, All right. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But nobody's doing that. Like like the, the blue media won't mention that and the red media won't either. Um, and when I put that article out, it got yeah. no traffic. And that was really surprising to me because this is like, it's almost conspiracy le- theory level stuff. Like why would nobody know this? And if you try and bring this up to somebody, they'd they say those numbers can't be right. You must have mm. cooked those numbers. I grabbed them off the FBI website.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and the, there was almost no research involved in that, right? But nobody knows that. Why doesn't anybody know that?
1: Well, you know? okay. So it's because nobody wants to tout that because that doesn't feed into agendas. That's the obvious thing.
0: Well, I think that that might be part of it. But I think the other, but I think there's something deeper going on because it's like, you can claim that all media is agenda-driven by politics, and that's an easy claim to make, and you can rattle that saber. And I don't think it's necessarily true. Mm. There is one overwhelming agenda that all media has, and that's to keep the lights on.
1: Yeah,
0: It's to make money, yeah. right? And the way you make money now is with clicks. Yep. And the way you get clicks is by making people scared.
1: There used to be an adage that if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. But the media is if they're not outraged, they're not paying attention. And so we need to get them outraged. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like anything that tells you to chill out is by definition, not something that's going to gain traction in the way that
0: nobody shares chill out. So this is what Mm I, um, I discovered when I went across this whole series of articles is that any articles that I wrote that were useful in a culture war argument on Facebook got a tremendous amount of secondary sharing, and that's mm-hmm. where almost all my traffic came from, right? You get, you know, if I, if it hit Facebook and Tumblr and, you know, yeah. these sorts of things, then it was like they got a huge number of hits.
1: So it's not necessarily the media quote-unquote the media's fault that this is the way things operate it's more about human attention The media is attenuated to human attention.
0: First off, you know, you got to keep the lights on. And so what you have to do is you have to come up with a way to incite and enrage the public in any way you can. And that's how you get more clicks. And so that's how you make your money and then you bank it and then you wake up the next morning and then you do the same thing. You find out some way to enrage people and you try and make a little bit more money. And all of the media is doing that. But here's the problem. It's like nobody can stop doing that, even if they wanted to. Like you know, CNN or whoever, you know, we'll pick on them because it's fun to pick on CNN, or we can pick on Vox because they do the same thing, or Fox. You know, we could call them the Vox and Fox. If they stopped trying to incite and enrage the public, um, they I would be u- called
1: irrelevant them, immediately.
0: Right. They would lose traffic to somebody else who was doing it. Yeah. They would lose market share. Hmm. Right. So they can't stop because if they stop, then somebody else who doesn't stop. We'll get the money,
1: hmm.
0: so you're stuck. It's the whole thing is intractified, so that it must keep peddling, you know, freakatery. Yeah, and that's why I named the thing "hand waving freakatery" when I finally picked like a publication Your name blog, because it's yeah. really what this thing is all about, right? It's yeah. like this is this is the problem: is that everybody is stuck yeah. doing this. And you talked about attention spans. Um, this is another article I did later on, and this is kind of more down to culture war rabbit hole thing. What's going on really is you've got kind of this tragedy of the commons situation with the media. You're familiar with tragedy of the commons. Let's how that walk works, through right? that for everybody. Let's walk through it just in case you, anybody who's listening is not familiar. So I believe I could be wrong about this, and if so, flog me, but I believe the tragedy of the commons was originally uh, framed around uh, farming in England, like where they had this common area where you could graze your sheep, you know? Yeah. And the problem was that you know, if I had five sheep and you had five sheep and there was, you know, 10 sheep worth of space to graze, then we were good. But then if you got seven sheep, then, you know, there was nothing for me to, then I got to get seven sheep too. And then we're, you know and then you got to get eight sheep and i got to get ten sheep and then there's no more grass and then we're yelling at each other right yeah. you end up extracting all of the shared resource for your own personal gain and it has to do with this kind of like the boundary conditions of the game theory of sheep grazing this is before game three was really described but they called it the tragedy of the commons back then and then what do you well how do you how do you fix that it's like well you need the you know bureau of land management to make sure that you ha- have a limit on who, how many sheep People getting sheep grazing permits, you know, whatever, yeah. that kind of thing. So that's the tragedy of the commons. And that's often trotted out as one of the most, I would say, legitimate um, criticisms of pure libertarian thought. Right. Okay. Because if you just turn the thing loose and, you know, everybody's grabbing everything, you're like, it's, this is a big deal in water resources, which is my field. Mm-hmm. It gets into the, you know, like everybody was bitching at Nestle for taking too much water when California had the drought or whatever. All that's tied up with water rights law. which is yeah. You know, on the East Coast, I don't have to deal with that very much, but that's kind of where that comes from. It's but a it's tragic. an example in,
1: of, of where the libertarian ideas break down. When I think so. I think yeah. so.
0: And as a, and as somebody who's kind of a, you know, I'm a libertarian flag waver, you know, if we were, you know, cohesive enough to have a flag, I would wave it, but we're not. Yeah. Well, oh. I, I
1: would never tread on your flag. I'll just let you know. Oh. <laughs>
0: so, um, so we have a fixed number of people in the country, right? Okay. And each of us only has so many hours per day that we can stay glued to our, you know, cell phone looking at news. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So that's a fixed resource. When you just had, you know, three or four TV shows or, you know, major news networks or whatever, and that was it. It was not a big deal like they would go out and have normal news with Tom Brokaw and he wasn't trying to freak you out necessarily. You you just picked your normal news show and you moved on with your life. But now it's like you've got – you know, you had cable news and then you had – more complicated cable news and then once you got youtube and twitter and podcasts and uh and everybody started getting stuff online instead of like reading the newspaper then you have effectively an infinite number of you know people trying to graze that attention span yes it's like having an infinite number of sheep herders trying to squeeze on it a lot right you know so the only way that they can get there is by um so first thing you can do you can shorten your articles Right. Because then you then you can get a click in less time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, uh, you know, freak people out about like you can increase their anxiety. Um, or you'll, you'll do other things like you'll have, you know, stories that, um, talk about, you know, that pedal envy. Like, look how rich this guy is, you know, whatever. So that's your like your celebrity
1: upon the easiest emotions.
0: Like really, if you break it down, it comes down to like three main things. It's like doesn't just encapsulate what the media is doing, but also what people are doing on social media, because we're all doing this. Like when you're on Facebook, you're self-publishing. Yes. Right. And when you are on Twitter. You're self-publishing and you're trying. Well, you're exploiting
1: yourself even.
0: Well, yeah, you're cruising for the likes. And the reason you're cruising for the likes is because you get a dopamine fix and somebody likes your stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. dopamine is like the same thing that gets you high from gambling mm-hmm. or smoking or drinking. You know, the, the three pillars of a fun Saturday night. <laughs> and you get addicted to self-publishing and you want people to encounter. You want to get the upvotes. You want to get whatever it is you know, from Reddit or that kind of thing. And so your, your posts are. And this is in profit media and also in, you know, personal publishing, which is what social media is. It's like it breaks down to like, look how great my life is. Picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Like, look at me on a beach. Yeah. Or like, look look how terrible the world is. So this is like yeah. Trump or Hillary or racialism or privilege or, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And then your third thing is kind of look at all these rich motherfuckers, you know, where you have like Caitlin Jenner or Elon Musk or the Queen of England or or all these kind of things. Mm. And um, and then you have sort of general free category but they're like those three categories which is how social media plays mm-hmm. they're like those three things create a false picture of the world yes okay and they create a picture but it's a vivid picture it, it is a vivid beautiful picture of the world as being uh uh, full of resources that other people have, yes. and that, y- that your resources are less than their resources, which activates the sort of resource scarcity neurons in your <laughs> brain.
1: <laughs>
0: and this is this is a Brett Weinstein thing. You ask Brett about this because it's something he was talking about on Rogan. And um, and so when your brain has this perception that you're in a resource scarce position, even when you're not in a resource scarce position, you tribe up. Because that's what the tribes used to do back in the old times. Like, it's Mm -hmm. like if you've got a tribe of 100 farmers and then, you know, 10 miles down the road, there's another tribe of 100 farmers and there's like, or, you know, hunter gatherers and you only got so many banana trees, but you got enough bananas for everybody. You're friendly with the tribe next door. But if like suddenly there's a banana drought – well, you got to make sure you get those bananas so that yeah. those other guys they can't get those bananas, right? Yeah. So then you got to what do you do? You end up with war and stuff, you end up with the violence and the sort of your your uh, latent you know uh uh ape programming to shift into things like into modes like war and genocide starts to make more sense.
1: Yeah, but and, so far it it it's purely virtual. Like we're playing at war. We were it's a disembodied war. It's a it's a war over opinions. And so it it starts to play with the uh, the resources of opinions, which is language, which is the main thing that I critique when I critique popular culture. I go down to the language and I I show how people are using words because that's what people are battling over at least one contingent. The progressives are pretty. That's what you, and usually what they end up fighting over is is the words, is the framing and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But, um, but that's because if you can shape the language, then you can shape the attention and then you, you, uh, you gain more supporters, you gain more, more of tribe or you gain more righteousness, which means that. Yeah.
0: I I think that's, I think that's a a legitimate point. And, but one of the things that I think I've seen and a lot of people heard like, um, in this sort of trying to analyze the culture war space is they're definitely taking an epistemological approach, right? They're like trying to unpack the what are the, the source beliefs of this, you know, tribe versus that tribe and how they're using language and how they're doing this and yeah. how these things like, you know, fit together or fall apart. And, you know, for me, it's like there's another layer. Well, you know, I'm like I'm less worried about like you know that seems like details to me. That kind of seems like who's shooting at who in this virtual thing. Like I'm a lot more worried about why it's cropping up in the first place. Okay. What's the incentive? You know, and and I think the incentive is just like you know is the media banging into echo chambers to try and get clicks. Yeah. And um and making people anxious and driving their you sort of latent programming toward to tribe up mm-hmm. because w- that's what happens when you, when you feed these, echo you, you, people get more and more self-righteous and they are mm-hmm. more and more likely to exclude or disbelieve other people based on a tribal affiliation and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And you're starting to see it now and in, in polling data, people are much in like, there's a, a significant number of blue tribers and red tribers right now that are like, would get very angry at their children if they married someone from the opposite tribe <laughs> kind of like kind of like like you know white and black used to be in the 1950s or whatever like yeah, guess who's right. coming yeah. home for dinner like you could remake that movie or you know whatever with a Republican and a Democrat if you wanted to for yeah. now Absolutely. you know and it'd be it might even be nastier you yeah know? so um
1: but you you already we've already cover that the media itself isn't to blame the media is driven by the need to keep the lights on so it's the a media is model shaping flaw. itself oh it's a business model flaw so is there yeah. a way for the the model of media to actually be new media like there's this phrase new media which just means the internet but i, mm, I wonder if like yeah. there's an actual new media of the way that we interact with information that doesn't feed into this whole tribalistic echo chamber
0: line I've been of, I've been working on that for a long time, dude. I, it's a it's really hard pu- thing to try and puzzle out because like on the surface, it yeah. almost seems to me like the answer is no. Like there's no way out of this trap. And I've thought about it for a long time. The only thing I can think of is that somebody's going to have to come along and reinvent a new social media platform. It's going to have to come from the private sector that is going to kick Facebook's table over and um, and people are going to have to want to migrate to it, and it's going to have to more closely emulate the how the ways we interact or at least used to interact in the real world, which is that if you want to have a conversation about something at a dinner table, you invite three people over to dinner, and then you have that conversation with them without having a bunch of TV cameras all shining in on it and broadcasting mm-hmm. it out to a horde of people that might disagree with you, right? You know, it's like when you have a conversation on Twitter. It's like, okay, here's me and five people that are having an interesting conversation on Twitter. However, there could be a hundred people who all, you know, disagree, just like farming it for some kind of, you know, hmm. nugget they can use against you in the future or something weird like that. I don't know. You I know? just
1: it seems like you want mass communication that doesn't have the capacity of being mass communication.
0: I think that we need to return to talking like we used to talk,
1: which is contained.
0: Right, right. Which doesn't and slip um, out of
1: some sort of lane or right. group of people right. that you consciously select.
0: Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you've got a lot of people. I mean, like the I mean, you know, sort of millennial generation and, and younger generations, so it's like you. social media has been your thing for forever. And uh, middle Gen X in my early 40s. And, you know, I was kind of into this stuff before this stuff was even almost stuff like i was using dial-up bull the board systems with a 1200 baud modem and talking to people like through a hard drive on somebody else's you know house yeah. right okay it's like war games you know like with matthew yeah. broderick like that was that was i was doing that crap when i was like 12 years old so yeah. I've, I've been around it for a while and people are like oh we're on facebook it's this totally new thing i'm like what the hell is it you know and i looked and i was like oh it's a discussion forum. Yeah, okay. I've seen those. Pictures, yeah. And it's like, I've been to, been doing that since I was a kid, guys. What's so special about it? And the, the special thing about it, apparently, is that you could get your grandma on it. And, you know, and then you can share cat photos with your cousins. And that was kind of what it was for a while. And then it became a way to, like, you know, completely alienate your cousins who just want to look at cat photos by sharing your political beliefs, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh... – I wonder if that infection was inevitable or if it has something to do with what's going on outside of the Internet.
0: I don't think that there are hostile forces that cause this thing to turn sour. I think it was just kind of inevitable that it yeah. was going to turn sour because, you know, um, one of the things that like we had, like look at the United States as a country, we have a vast, huge territory. And we have vastly different people scattered all across that territory with mm-hmm. vastly different opinions, vastly different views. Mm-hmm. And it when you before the you know advent of social media, you know all of these people were kind of contained, right? It's like you didn't run into a whole lot of people who are vastly different than you are, right? Um, you just kind of like you know dorked on along, and in different regions of the country, kind of had their personal views about different stuff, and 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 that was fine. And when You know what you Mm. you would only get into a major disagreement if it turned out that you had a huge problem with like, you know, the views or the behavior or whatever of your next door neighbor, you know, and then what social media did is said, "Hi, I'm going to make everybody your next door neighbor." Yeah. Okay. Right. So there's a proximity thing now. All the proximity has been removed, and so any kind of buffer. Between opposing views has been completely stripped away.
1: When you brought up that everybody is your neighbor now, it just reminds me of like the Christian morality where everybody is the same in the sight of God. And this is just Christian language; I'm not foisting it on anybody. But you know, according to the teachings teachings of Jesus, everybody is a child of God. We're all the same in God's sights. Therefore, we're all neighbors. Therefore, we all need to respect. And cherish and feel compassion towards everybody else. I wonder if one of the ways of managing our translation from these little pockets of tribes scattered all over the place with tons of space collapsed into thousands and thousands, millions, billions of people from a whole thousands of tribes collapsed into the same space is not uh, if the solution isn't a values solution rather than you know breaking off from that uh that commons area
0: gee that sure would be nice i'd love that i like mean like a gentleman's they, agreement
1: about uh, right. treating I mean, people in a certain way
0: i mean you know love thy neighbor is like a perfect meme to run a society around yeah okay whether you like or dislike christianity i was raised a quaker oh awesome. and um yeah, they, and, and it's a fascinating uh, sect of Christianity, and I love a lot of the teachings within it. And I don't practice it anymore, you know, currently. But, um, but it's, there's a, a lot of it has stuck with me throughout my life. And um, Darwinism is such a sharp knife. You can use it on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the one thing that frustrates me about, like, you know, I, I started consuming a lot of, you know, Brett Weinstein, Heather Hyang stuff you know, over the past year. And and it frustrates me sometimes that they don't use it enough on stuff that's outside genes, huh. um. So you can use it on a religion. You could say, all right, let's say here's a there's a thousand different religions across the world, right? And then the religions that did not do as well died out, and the religions that did well lived on. And what is doing well mean? It means conveying appropriate memes for running society, yeah. right? Yeah. And so the stronger, more stable societies lived on. And such, and um, and that what has lived out, what is won out, is like golden rule stuff, yeah. right? The golden rule shows up in everything that's got running nowadays. Now I might say that well, that some of that had to do with colonialism or whatever. Like I don't necessarily, I'm I'm not a good enough religious historian to know whether the Aztecs had the golden rule, for instance. Mm-hmm. And um, but I am a good enough historian to know that, you know, the Spaniards didn't necessarily take over mexico by having better societal memes you know Mm -hmm. they took over mexico with smallpox blankets and guns you know so so it's like but at at the same time would would the had that not happened would the aztec you know version of society lived out you know i don't i don't necessarily think so because i think that what what's going right now the ones that make the world work the best currently and Mm -hmm. You know, 85% of the world's religious is stuff that's got golden rule baked in or some version of it. And so, yeah, it'd be nice if we could try to rebake the golden rule and give it to and re-indoctrinate people in the United States to it. And I think that we might have lost that, you know.
1: Well, you know what, following Darwinian logic, uh, insofar as we don't bake certain virtues into our uh, social media and into our media, it will eventually lead to collapse it will e- eventually right. lead to tribalism to internecine conflict and collapse so right th- so it might be smart to put your eggs in the basket of internet communities that have core values that will survive or not lead you into you know just you know, wailing all the time and, and chasing after envy chasing after you know vanity and what was that third thing uh look at how good I am look at how bad the world is look how
0: great my life is look how terrible the world is and look at all these rich motherfuckers right you know that's that's pretty much it let's let's dial it four steps back because if I go too much further down this I'm gonna end up like crossing upwards and and jumping ahead so when I started looking at this cultural analysis stuff I was like I don't I've been sequestered I'm not like an academic that's looking at this thing for a long time I kind of had to develop my own tools and and when I did I started looking at things like okay Let's do a thought experiment. All right. What do you think sets mankind away from other species on the planet? You've got cities. You have division of labor. Hmm. You have, you know, uh, social hierarchies. You have like, you know, large scale cooperation to be able to achieve vast. You know, civil infrastructure projects mm, and things mm. like that to be able to make sure that everybody has the right stuff they need. You yeah. have agriculture. Agriculture is gigantic, right? That's, like, yeah. super important. But then on the flip side, you've got all this bad stuff, too. You've got, like, war. And you've got genocide. Yeah. And you've, you know what I mean? Yeah. And definitely. Then you have, sla- you have yeah. slavery. Okay. So all the things that I just mentioned right now, the ants have every single one of them.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. They've got the cities. They've got the divisional labor. They've got uh, social hierarchies. They've got agriculture. They have slavery. Yeah. They steal other ants and make them into their slaves. Oh, well, they they are have war. even, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they, aphids is more farming. That's not slavery. That's just <laughs> agriculture. That's their <laughs> livestock. Okay. And, um... I've seen them in my garden. They do that. It's like wild watching them do it. And the aphid farming ants, they'll they'll take aphid eggs and they'll hide them for the winter to make them safe. And when they go and make a new colony, they'll bring aphid eggs with them. Yeah. It's just like farming. It's exactly like it. But they have war and their wars are nasty. They have genocide. They make sure they get in and kill all the babies whenever they win a war. Hmm. And, and so it's like when you take a step back and you look and you're like, holy shit, you know, we're running an ant program. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. With video That's what games we're doing. and dancing.
0: Yeah, we have like some other fluff on the side, but what makes our sort of society strong is how well they're able to emulate the ants, Hmm. and that's creepy.
1: That's a Hmm. creepy realization. No, it's creepy. Yeah, it's very boring.
0: Yeah, it's 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 like you know. Wait a minute. Well, and you so ask yourself, well, how do the ants do it? Well. Um, if you ask an like an entomologist, well, how do the ants know what to do? Cause will like, you'll have one ant that he just spends his entire life carrying waste up from like some chamber up to the top and then dumping it off. And he makes six trips his whole life before he dies. Cause his ant legs are worn out, you know, <laughs> how does he know to do that? Cause he's not getting central instructions. There's no like, you know, there's a queen, but the queen doesn't have a hive mind. There's no like radio, radio, you know, whatever like that. Um, and there's no central organization of what the ants know when to do all they're doing is just passing pheromone signals between each other yeah. so like if an ant is walking down the street and he hears the signal of we need a new nursery pheromone hmm. like from 10 prior ants then he goes off to the side of the ant colony and he starts digging a hole to them and then five other ants come along because they heard the same pheromone and they dig their, their nursery out and then some other ants are there to go and start building okay. their nursery for their ant eggs and that kind of thing yeah. and so well that's how the ants do it like how do we do that
1: well like it's incentivized if, right
0: Right. How do you get your signal that we need a new nursery, that we need a new daycare center? How do we get our signal for that?
1: Well, it's it's abstracted. Yeah, money. Yeah, it's abstracted, which is just... Money
0: is is our ant pheromone, flat. That's what it is. That's what I do. Okay. I take in... You know, money for you know the task that I do, and and then I pay money out for another task. I get my food. Can, I pass them some money. They pass the money to whoever makes the milk, you yeah. know, or whatever. And they know that they need to keep milking, making milk because they keep getting money for doing it. We're apes, where you know half of our behavior is programmed, and like like we're not a blank slate, but we're blanker than most yeah. other animals yeah. or I all other animals. That, yeah. We got we have some space in there, and yes. that space can be filled, and it gets filled with. You know, indoctrinations when you're kids and um, and as you're brought up, you're indoctrinated by your parents and you are educated by your uh, educational system. And you are you gather behavior from your peer interactions. And that mm-hmm. becomes your framework with which you set up a bunch of basically a bunch of operating scripts in your head. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you hold the door for a lady. Why do you, you don't sit there and think about whether it's the appropriate thing to do to hold for, hold the door for a lady? You just do it or you do her in, in this area of the country. I don't you know. And and or you know you don't you don't push grandma down the stairs but you don't have to stop and think am i supposed to push grandma down the stairs or not no you just don't do it yeah you know so you have these things that are built into your head and then they help you run um they help you work your life so that you don't have to do so much thinking yeah yeah and those become a nested layer of behaviors of indoctrinated behaviors Mm -hmm. and um And that's the infrastructure of a culture is that like that was my my analysis framework. I'm like, so cultures are nested layers of behavior that have been indoctrinated since birth. And that when two different, you know, two people show up and interact that have different nested layers of indoctrinated behaviors, possibly from different sources. Yeah. That's where all the friction seems to occur. Hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so this culture war itself—it's like you're trying to think about it in terms of language, and I'm trying to think about it in terms of indoctrinated behavior. I don't want to say it's like the NPC meme, but it is kind of like the NPC well, meme. Yeah, yeah, but maybe, it, maybe but not it, completely it's more like, gray. It, it, it maybe not. Well, it's more like okay, everybody's mostly gray,
1: right? <laughs> well, some, and we just some people are more purple, some people are more orange, you know. But like yeah, right, gray. exactly. It's like
0: it's like most people are in the most people that spend most of their day not really thinking about stuff Mm -hmm. and then if you run into somebody who's running a different meme or saying something that's different you know that that doesn't Mm -hmm. fit your indoctrinated meme spread that challenges you because you don't want to have to think you just think well that's not right that's not how i was raised right and so or how i was taught or whatever I see that kind of behavior on both sides of the gun debate. Yeah. Exactly. People defaulting to, to, to basic stuff just because that's how they've been indoctrinated. And not want to think deeply about what's going on with it. You know, if, and, if you, um, you
1: overuse the MPC meme, you're just the MPC that generates the MPC meme. Right. Sure. That becomes a person programming. Ba-
0: now let's try and let's try and apply, apply that, that model to the culture war. And what you see is it's more like, okay red and blue doesn't really work great and democrat republican doesn't really work great and neither does liberal or conservative but like progressive traditionalist is a really good break
1: Hmm.
0: because you know traditionalists are they have memes that have been around for a long time and they like those memes that have been around for a long time because they know they work Hmm. they are proof tested memes and then you have like the progressives are they don't like the traditional memes. I mean, the, the traditions are like, these memes make the ant hill go. Yeah. Why are we going to mess with these memes that make the ant hill go? And then the progressives are like, well, they might be something like, well, I don't want to be an ant, right. or they might just say, well, these memes make you better at the ant hill than me, right. or whatever. We got we gotta get rid of these these memes, or you know, you get in sort of your your postmodernist analysis, you know, a, 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 treating everything in the world as a meta narrative, and then. Your, um, your social justice folks are more like all meta narratives are bad without kind of realizing that social justice itself is also basically a meta narrative, you know, so they want to throw every traditional meme out. And this freaks the, you know, traditionalists out because I think they, they might have a little bit better understanding about the sort of Darwinistic element here, because if you wreck your meme, if you wreck your set of indoctrinated behaviors and then some other society next door, they're running a set of behaviors that. Works because say they've been proof tested. Well, they might come in and take over just like an ant colony would.
1: The traditional sure. wants to preserve the meme that works, the uh-huh. progressive wants to be aware that at any moment a meme that has worked will cease working because the environment is constantly changing. But you, you I think still, that some
0: of the progressives nowadays aren't, I think they're throwing tradition out just for the sake of throwing it out. Well,
1: yeah, I mean. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard to you know, know what's signal and what's noise. If that's right. just what we pay attention to that's or true. if that's an Correct. actual uh, emergent, if that's an anecdote or actual data. But sure. what concerns me with academic, uh, the academic landscape is that it seems to be so full of people who are in principle against Western society just because it's dominant. They're operating right. under anything that's dominant is inherently evil. And they want right. to dominate that which doesn't make sense, but they want to dominate it with something that's non-dominant because that's better. I don't know, but yeah, I have a, I don't know, like a lot of people that are kind of weighed into this
0: kind of tiny corner of the culture war, the sort of like social justice stuff, which I spent a lot of time thinking about recently. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really worried about, you know, so the, the social justice crowd taking over academia and this and that. And, um, and I can see why they're worried, but you know, I have sort of a, a broader, maybe more dismal, maybe more, futurist view of the thing and I think it's kind of like it's almost kind of I hate to say it but I guess I'll just say it I think it's a waste of time to worry about what's happened in the universities because they're all going to go belly up in 15 years anyway I mean I think I think higher education is going to get majorly screwed in, in the next 15 years because it hasn't stayed up with the times as far as you know delivery modes of their product mm-hmm. and um and it's not worth the money Mm-hmm. And um, there's way too much money being thrown in it, and the student loan thing was kind of a sham from the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I mean, you kind of – like, student loans have kind of been so, a part of your framework probably for – since you've been ever thinking about college. But they kind of became a big deal originally, like, when I was in college. And – um I was like, you know, before I went to college, it was like when you went to college, it was because your parents paid for college, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or they got they got a loan, and it wasn't like a federally-backed student loan. It was like they w- took out a second loan on their house to get enough money to send you to college, and they'd send you to the college that they could afford to send you to, mm-hmm. right? That was just how it worked. And hmm. along came this idea of the, the federally-backed student loan program, and um, hmm. what it basically did was – I mean, it had some – it had a good intent, and the intent that it had, it did achieve in that there was a lot of there. I mean, there were folks that were could have gotten good doctor, lawyer, engineer jobs. that were poor folks that couldn't afford to go to college. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you want to try and get those guys online. You want to try and provide them the upward mobility that they have. And the student loan program absolutely did that. But the cost was that everybody went and got a college degree. Yeah.
1: You, you leveled the, the playing field, but at the same time flooded the playing field.
0: Right. Well, yeah. Um, the big problem is that everybody said that this is going to pay for itself because everybody's going to go and be able to get a college level job now. But the, the, sure. we ballooned the number of diplomas, but we did nothing to change the job profile in the United States. We still need the see number of garbage collectors and plumbers and baristas that we needed before. It's just now the baristas have college degrees Yeah, and debt. And debt. <laughs> right. And and so and so that's like in some ways the 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 poor folks who are able to get ahead and get into their professional college style careers, your engineers, doctors, lawyers, accountants, whatever, those people got ahead, you know, surreptitiously on the backs of a whole bunch of other poor people going into debt.
1: Hmm. The way the program was set up. That is it's pretty the, cynical. But it, it well doesn't make it any less true.
0: It, that's that's pretty much what happened. And mm-hmm. when it got, it was extremely popular. Like everybody in Congress voted for it. Big bipartisan thing. Everybody patted themselves in the back. And there's like, sure. you know, there's one angry dude in the back and gives an hour long speech about why it's stupid. And you know, guess who that was? It was Ron Paul. <laughs> <You know>? and,
1: <laughs> not Bernie this time,
0: huh? <laughs> no, and um, oh no, of course not Bernie. Bernie would have been for it. And um. And so and, and nobody listened to him because nobody ever listens to Ron Paul and and we and, and then what happened also in was that that meant that a whole bunch of baby boomers they loved it because that means they didn't have to take out the loan or you know mortgage their home to send their kids to school they saved a bunch of money and what do they do with the money they bought a six-bedroom house mm-hmm. which then fueled the housing boom through the 80s which was really through the 90s and and 2000s that led up to the housing crash in 2008 right Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, not only was the um the success of the poor people who could become you know highly professional uh, folks at the cost of the rest of the indebted poor, it was also at the cost of the markets themselves sure. once the thing crashed because of the overvaluing of real estate and all of that, right? So, but what's happened since, so that money is still pouring into the colleges. The colleges are growing like way faster than they need to be. And what they're doing is they're taking as much money as they can from every student as they can, you know, and they're pouring it largely into facilities upgrades, like bigger buildings and labs Mm -hmm. and dorms. And the dorms are so much nicer. Like when I went to college, you were like in a bunk bed, you know, in a room. And now it's like everybody's got their own like granite countertop suite or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're your athletic complexes like the club med I mean it's like you know modern universities are are resorts yeah because they've got all this money and they're trying to spend it to try and entice more people to come and spend their debt there yeah
1: and they spend and, um, a whole lot of money secondarily on pampering the students with a bunch of student life programs, which uh, feature these weird, this is where we get this weird outcrop of equity and diversity and special rooms for every ethnicity and a lot of programs that make you feel good about yourself and that you're the center of the world. Like it's sure, not just yeah, physical, sir. it's not just the physical, it's psychological. They're pouring a lot of money into making you feel like a pampered king psychologically.
0: Sure, sure. You know, just like a resort would do in some yeah. ways. The millennials should be angry about their debt because they were sold a false bill of goods by their guidance counselors.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay? Like, they were told, all you need is a college degree. Doesn't matter what the degree's in. Go get one. That's what they were told in high school. And they were too young to know that that was bad advice. Hmm. Right? And the reason why the guidance counselors are telling them that is that the guidance counselors are under pressure to increase the number of people from their schools that oh, get into sh- college hmm. right and the reason why they're under that pressure is because then the that's what their school ranking is based on in hmm. the public school rankings and a higher ranked public school <laughs> means that your home value goes up and your home va- and, and so the school board wants and that, where, that's where their money comes from right their money comes from property taxes
1: that's so shitty that's so fucking dismal <laughs>
0: Do you, are you starting to see how that whole thing's it's connected now? It's just so satanic.
1: It's just so like... like I can't
0: believe that this is... I haven't written this article yet. I'll eventually get around <laughs> to writing it. I'd like to put some numbers to it, but that's basically what happened. Oh, God. Okay? And that's especially gets amplified with the whole housing market. Everybody's buying houses that are way too big and, and everything else like that. The whole thing just gets like you know boiled up into this deal where there's so much money and so much everything's all blooming into the universities. What you have now is you have people getting... You know, a quarter million dollar degree. The degree is basically just a hiring signal for your first job because once you've had a job, when you switch jobs, they don't look at where you went to college anymore. They look at where you worked last okay. and they look at how good you are at what you do. They're spending a quarter million dollars on stuff – on a lot of times stuff that basically equates to a hobby and a, you know, a hiring signal. As soon as somebody can figure out how to get that same hiring signal on the cheap – that an employer will accept all all of the next generation is just going to completely bail Right, and as soon as they bail, yeah. the colleges themselves are going to be fantastically screwed. Because I mean, you mentioned that they're pouring a lot of money into this sort of like you know pampering of the students and stuff, and I'm sure they're doing that. But I bet if you looked at their balance sheet, the major money they're doing is in capital improvements. Yeah, because buildings cost money, dude. I mean, I'm in land development. Buildings cost money, hmm. and um, and you, even once it's built, you've got a carrying cost because you're usually building it with debt, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to pay that debt, and then you're also got to um. You have operations, maintenance, you got all this kind of stuff. And if your whole facility empties, I mean, what do you do? And then what's going to
1: happen with all these people with uh, debt? Is that going to um, wh- lead to a revolution? You think? I, I want to turn which people, up the,
0: which, uh, which people, like the uh, students or the yeah, students, or the universities. You know, because they're going to have debt too. They're they've pulled out debt like for their capital improvements. You know, yeah, but they're and, they're
1: corporations. Like w- that money will just be written off as some sort of insurance bankruptcy thing, right? Right. I mean, yeah, they'll go bankrupt, and whoever, that, yeah.
0: who, well, whoever loaned them the money is going to lose their their return, and yeah, you know, so and then that could spill through and cause another kind of general market crash. I mean, that's what happened in oh. in. Wait, right.
1: Okay. You know, yeah.
0: is it okay? Yeah. It would be okay. nice to say only the people who, you know, defaulted on their loans took it on the chin. But that's not what happened. The people who loaned them the money took it on the chin. And then we found out, oh, wait, it was us that loaned them the money because all of our investments were re we were rolled into these mortgage backed securities by the banks. And so the banks are like, okay, well, you're, you know, your 401k took it. Right, mm-hmm. that's how crashes work,
1: okay, yeah,
0: and um, mm-hmm. and so that kind of thing is going to happen whenever this hits, you know, and I don't know I don't think it'll be in two years, I think it'll be in, it could very well be in twelve,
1: mm-hmm. so you know we we got sidetracked with the college thing, which was a lovely you know bunny event well let's let's to. let's book
0: that let's let's wrap that up. the yeah. main reason why that I'm not like. I'm not personally kind of like freaking out about the sort of like social justice, gender studies program stuff like sort of like the the James Lindsay, uh, Helen Pluckrose triad. You know, those guys are doing all that stuff right now. It's like they're like trying to restore like, you know, this structure to the academia. They seem to me to be trying to plug holes in a link in a leaky boat that's on its way towards a waterfall.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Right. So I'm like, I'm not that worried about that stuff. You know, it's like, well,
1: the market will resolve it. Oh, yeah, that's good. it's resolved. worthless it, unless it has some worth It will be completely dissolved. And
0: that's, you know, crash. that's how the system goes, man. Yeah. It's like, okay. you know, worth is rewarded and it will eventually, you know,
1: That's
0: huh. every time it'll, it just takes a while huh. to catch up. Sometimes I view this as one particular battle in an overall culture war. And my fear is not necessarily about who gains control of the university. My fear is really more large scale. I'm afraid people are start shooting each other.
1: And that's why you want everybody be, to be armed. Yeah. Now
0: we're back to guns. All right. <laughs> it took a long time to get back there. That's not oh. necessarily why I want everybody to be. That's why I want to be armed, you yeah. know, in case everybody starts shooting each other. I want to be able to
1: say, oh, my God, you know, well, okay, I got mine. Go over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stay away from me. How would you like the culture landscape to move towards a place or move in a direction that isn't all out war? That isn't people shooting themselves in the street. What are some methods that we can use in our daily lives that allay that possibility?
0: Uninstall Facebook. Okay, that's so step, just that's step. That, absolutely step one. You got to get rid of Facebook, and you got to get rid of you know, these sorts of you know um, signal oh. amplifiers. And the second thing you got to do is you got to stop listening to news. Like you, everybody's got to realize that the news is in it for the clicks, and if you understand that, every time you read a news story, somebody profited from you clicking on it. Mm-hmm. And that you followed it for a reason, which is probably a headline that was probably designed very carefully to get you to click on it. And that the content in it is in, is developed not necessarily to convey meaning to you or even to challenge you. The content is intentionally created to get you to share it. It's commercials. We have a um, we have a, a developed a very thick skin in our heads against you know commercials in the united states because we watched commercial tv for so long we know that when the commercial comes on we ignore the fruit loops right mm-hmm. we don't care about the rice krispies we're like yeah whatever it's just a commercial and then the you know the cable news comes back on and we start paying attention and we've forgotten that that stuff you know, we've been trusting that that stuff is not a commercial
1: huh. okay
0: but it is and um and you know whether it's the blues or the reds, either a blue commercial or a red commercial and, um, and, but
1: doesn't you know. that shoot yourself in the foot? Like, like Why? to say as a communicator, you're somebody who communicates. Sure. To say people should stop paying attention to communication. Don't we need to somehow instigate an evolution of being able to parse data between what's a commercial and what's sincere, valuable data? Oh, yeah. Are, wow. are, you, are you advocating just complete unplugging like a, a ludite?
0: Uh, well, I think that, that would be the safest thing to do. And I think that if you do plug in, you need to make sure you're very critical of what you're. Everything you need to be critical about, okay, like everything. If especially if you agree with it, if you read so something,
1: or become completely paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I don't know that being critical is necessarily okay. paranoia, yeah. but um, but the stuff you need to be the critical the most about really is the stuff that feeds you what you something you agree with Hmm. because if you agree with it chances are it's more likely that it was designed for you to share it and then here we go right yeah okay it's and then you're contributing to the echo chamber problem you're amplifying a signal is it right you know i mean there's so much gun stuff that i went you know, and, and and debunked. It was like one article after debunk this, debunk that, debunk the other. You know, I mean, the first article was about: Are you aware that there's no bivariate correlation whatsoever between gun ownership and gun homicide rate? Uh,
1: what's bicorrelate?
0: bivariate? Bivariate. Bivariate. If you plot gun ownership on one on the y-axis and gun homicide rate on the x-axis, or vice versa, there is no correlation. None. Not in the United States. Not internationally. Not among uh, um, developed countries. Not among European countries. Nowhere is there a bivariate correlation, and you know, there is some buried multivariate correlation sometimes, but it is way less uh, impactful hmm. than things like Gini coefficient. And
1: so, what does that mean? It's always.
0: It, what do you mean?
1: Uh, what does it mean that, that there's no bivariant correlation between okay. ownership right. and homi- homicide?
0: Okay. So so like you know Vox or Mother Jones or Every Time for Gun Safety are going to put up this graph, and it's going to have a whole bunch of data points. It's going to have a line going through it, and it's going to say, see, look, the more guns there are, the more gun homicides there are. Right? I think I write a big article about that. And each of those things that I just mentioned has written those articles over and over and over again. They'll like, say, look, more gun homicides, whatever, and they have this in the graphs, and they look right. And then if you pay really close attention to the y-axis, they're not measuring gun homicides or measuring gun deaths. And what they've done
1: hmm. is
0: they sneak in suicides and accidents into the graph. Yeah, I remember okay. that. Okay, so, uh, so gun accidents are absolutely related to gun ownership because you can't have a gun accident without a gun. <laughs> and gun suicides are – and I, I wrote a whole second article on unpack the gun suicide issue. They are related to gun ownership rate but this is curious. Only in men. Hmm. Like gun ownership versus uh, gun suicide is, or versus total suicide. Really, that's the best way to look at it. There's no relationship among women, because I guess like the women are worried about who's gonna clean up the mess or something, right? Mm-hmm.
1: But mm-hmm.
0: Um, but like men are hastier, and yeah. male thorough. you know, suicides are, are angrier, and so what happens is that they're more violent, and so when, male, when men uh, make hmm. that leap and happen to have a gun around, it's more likely to work, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and so, so there is a correlation between gun ownership in men and gun suicide rates in men, which is also strange because, like, that's like, if you could get just every man who has suicidal thoughts to give his gun to a friend, if you could just do that one thing, you would save something like fifty percent of the total gun deaths in the country, huh. because gun suicide is two thirds of gun deaths. Huh. Two thirds. Wow. And you know, seven eighths of that two thirds are men. Yeah. The gun death problem is a men's health problem. Yeah. But that does not play in the blue media. Yeah. yeah. Because nobody's you know, no feminists are gonna march on Washington for men's health. And and because uh, that doesn't fit the narrative. But men aren't going to walk march on Washington for men's health because it would look like a bunch of pussies, right? So, <laughs> so the, you, you, like nobody wants to talk about that. But that's the actual problem yeah, behind a gun. That's yeah. right okay. there. Yeah. You want to define gun deaths as your problem? That's the problem, and nobody wants to talk about it. Golly, like if the NRA were to realize this, maybe they do. Maybe they don't care. I don't know. They're kind of like just in a. Republican shill organization right now, but Mm -hmm. if, if they were to realize that and they were to have like a giant sort of suicide awareness thing among their members, just to, Hey, give your gun to a buddy. If you're having bad thoughts, just something like that, that was just kind of permeated their literature. Mm -hmm. They could probably save five times the number of lives per year as total number of domestic violence deaths. There's that big of a difference in the numbers. Okay. It's tremendous. It's like, it's like, wow, it's huge. Hmm.
1: So and, when we um, when we look at the facts like that, how yeah. how do you publish those facts? How do you how do you incentivize the sharing of a fact like that? Something that stands in direct uh, opposition to our our nature.
0: Got as me, humans, dude. That was women. that was what I was running into when I was writing these things. I like you know that was okay. So the suicide article was article two. The no no correlate no bivariate correlation was article one, and it got it got picked up. God dog somebody threw that article up on like the. Donald on Reddit. I didn't put it there, and it got a huge amount of traffic from that. And then the third article was about, hey, look, there's actually no homicide epidemic. Nobody read that article. Huh. And then, um, you know, what was the art fourth article? Oh, you know, uh, was looking at buybacks. Like, would a buyback work? it's like okay, yeah. the the mathematics on that just don't work. They're impossible because. First off, like, Australia's buyback, it didn't get all their guns. They got, like, I can't remember what it was, like 40% of their guns or something like that. Okay. And in order to get us down to where Australia's numbers are, we'd have to reclaim, like, over 90% of the guns in the country. (laughs) Because we start with so many more guns than they have. Yeah. Just mathematically speaking, 40% of the guns in the world today are in the hands of U.S. citizens. So
1: then what do you think all the ink spilled about the gun debate is really about? other it's than about driving anxiety kicks, okay. Driving anxiety getting clicks.
0: That's okay. it, huh? That's it. That's all of the and and that's huh. and it's really on the on the red side, too, right? Yeah, I'll okay. give you a great example. Holy crap! So, you know, uh, you ever heard of a guy named Kirk Schlichter? Mm-hmm. He's a conservative pundit, writes for townhall.com. Yeah, um, he's just like he's he's red culture war, uh, Democrats coming to kill you. Oh, it's kind of a communist, Just that, and the other. That's that he makes a lot of money peddling clicks, right he got a somebody tweeted him my uh, my article on the um that you mentioned originally the one about the um the preppers you know, yeah the surprisingly solid mathematical case of the tenfold hat gun prepper somebody sent him that article and he's like this article is great and I was like watching him on Twitter and I was like oh no here it comes <laughs> and he wrote it a, a, like a an article that was long and complicated that completely Continually referenced my article and quoted it and cited me, and it was nice to be cited, but he was like, I told you guys, you know, math says that everyone should buy an AR 15 rifle. I'm like, oh shit. God damn it. This is like the exact opposite of what I was going for. Like, trying to explain people that, like, hey, some of us are kind of worried that, like, the preppers aren't prepping to, like, fight the government. They're worried about, like, protecting their rice while a bunch of other people try and, you know, Take over the government, or people fight over it, or whatever. And the preppers aren't prepping for war; they're prepping for survival while other people
1: war. Well, given all the, and, that you, that you've said about um, the misuse of the information that you provide, and that any information that you provide that goes viral only goes viral insofar as it feeds into anxiety, are uh-huh. you going to stop putting out information? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know, man. Um, or do you, well, you want to figure out how to sculpt should... information? Well, it was kind of why I shifted over to the sort of this culture war analysis stuff is like one of the things I wanted to do was like I put my tag up on Medium that I was a conscientious objector to the culture war. And I am. I don't like it. I think it's stupid.
1: You're I think it's going to
0: drive people to shoot each other. <laughs> and – and but the only way you can figure that out is to like analyze it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like try and figure out why it's happening. Yeah. And so that's where my head's been at right now.
1: Yeah.
0: And – um. And the other thing too is that I mean I just I spend too much time thinking and I get too deep on some of these thoughts and I can't sleep until I get them down on paper.
1: You just give your gun uh-huh. to your buddy.
0: <laughs> I'm not at all suicidal. I, I have two kids, man. All right, all right. I, you know, it's I, a bad I gotta, joke. It's a bad joke. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's and, and but you know, hey, this is one thing to say. If if you have any viewers and any of them are suicidal and they have a gun in their house, give it to a buddy. Seriously, if one person does that out of your entire YouTube channel. Mm-hmm then your entire existence as a YouTube broadcaster will be like vilified or whatever, whatever the right word is, you know, because that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal. And, um, uh,
1: but the cultural war is more nefarious,
0: you know, I, I think that the culture war is eventually going to lead to people, you know, like as people continue to continue to tribe up, Hmm. you know, these things turn into violence eventually. Like, think about it this way: if you are, if there's a cliff, and you are steadily walking towards the cliff, and you can't change course, all you can do is speed up or slow down. You're going to hit the cliff eventually. Huh. You're going to fall off of that cliff eventually. And the cliff, in this case, is, you know, is people shooting each other what would a civil war and you know a second civil war in the United States look like like I was talking about this kind of stuff in more I got a tremendous amount of shit from people oh, this is all bullshit you know Vox writes this big thing oh people need to stop writing about the second civil war and then well, god dog Ezra Klein dropped something like two days ago was like we're in a second civil war right after the midterms <laughs> like you just while you were editor of Vox you were saying not to do that all right, whatever. Well, okay, yeah, it, whatever. It, it, he's like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, right. This is what's getting the clicks today, you know." Yeah. And um, hmm. but you know what, it would probably end up looking like is some kind of low-grade conflict where people ended up, you know, uh, 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 it's kind of a continuous running shooting thing. But it doesn't take very many people, you know, like the entire Syrian civil war, which is a god awful, horrible thing. Only one percent of the population of Syria are combatants.
1: Hmm.
0: Right. Um, I was reading something really recent, uh, on a, um, a blog. It's a sort of a conservative, you know, this is a popular conservative gun blog called forward observer. And this is kind of his shtick. He's looking at this, but he's looking at it tactically cause the guy's a retired Marine intelligence guy. And, and it was actually kind of made me feel a little bit better about the thing because I mean, we have had, we, we've got a rise in Political violence going on right now. The mm-hmm. hot button one was all of the mail bombs, right? Yeah. But like a month before the mail bombs, there was a bunch of ricin bombs that were sent to Republicans, and um, <laughs> and then you had a, uh, I you mean, know, there's you know some Democrats shot up a, a Republican um, campaign yeah. office, in Florida, and then there was, um, you know, I mean, there's there's stuff going on on both sides of it right now. But the thing that's kind of nice that he pointed out that I hadn't fully thought about, I just kind of been looking like, is the violence increasing? He said the thing you got to look at is that as long as it's lone wolves, it's not a war. Okay. It's just a bunch of idiots. And there might be more idiots, and the idiots might increase, and that might be a bad thing, but it's not a war. Where, where you oh. see a war is the best way to uh, identify that is, is T3R, which is tooth-to-tail ratio. Because, like, the the Army loves their acronyms, right? And a tooth-to-tail ratio is how many support sa- staff per guy with gun do you have – in your setup right and I think the number he quoted was like modern Afghanistan operations have like a 30 to 1 like there's 30 support staff of some kind or another in supply or intelligence or anything else that per single guy with gun that's instructed to kill people (sighs) I thought that was pretty high Um, but you know that's that T3R is something that um, military historians used to measure you know troop makeups and conflicts or whatnot and they also used to measure the Taliban Right, because the Taliban is not one to one either. Like mm-hmm. somebody's giving them food and bullets and mm-hmm. telling them where to go, and um and that kind of thing. And he says where you can where you need to start to being worried is when some of these things start happening with a with support staff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like Antifa's not there yet. Antifa's not really. I mean, I guess they're banging on Tucker Carlson's door or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like you know, if they were throwing Molotov cocktails in the window, that would be a significantly different thing. Or if they were shooting somebody, that would be a different thing. And then you might end up in a situation where you have, if they were going to do that, it wouldn't be like, hey, let's get the crowd together and let's go harass Tucker Carlson. Yeah, It'd man. be more like, we're going to pick this one guy, and all ten of us are going to run, you know, interference for him and make sure he has stuffy or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Right. Then it would become more organized, and that's when you got to start looking at, you got to start worrying. Hmm. So we're like, we're not there yet. Everybody talks about civil war. We're not there yet. We're just like really angry.
1: Yeah, but you still, you use the metaphor of walking toward a cliff. You think it's inevitable. Yeah. There's no way to turn. There's just a slow or a fast getting. This. If
0: I don't see any way the media can turn around. Hmm. Because whoever turns around loses market share. Hmm. Right?
1: Yeah, so all you can do as somebody who is feeding into the media is introducing drag to the progress.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe so. I don't know. Like,
1: like I, I'm
0: not, well, okay. Here's the thing. I can say whatever I want to because I'm not trying to pay the bills,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe amateur media is the way to rescue this thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I don't. I make basically nothing off medium. It pays some grocery bills on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> you know, the but the people who are trying to make money and have like a full time job. Yeah. You know, and they have a company that they got to, you know, maybe they even have stockholders or whatever. Those people can't turn around because if they turn around, they lose market share. Yeah, that's the thing that freaks me out: hmm. is that the business model, as it's set up right now, has no way to turn away from that cliff. It must okay. step towards the cliff, because it's a it's a tragedy of the commons issue, like we're talking about, kind of at the beginning. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what scares me. It scares the nuts out of me. And ever since I finished up the gun, like the the article. You know the the gun series articles. And I started looking at the traffic and paying attention to which ones played and which ones didn't, and started to figure out why. And then Kurt Schlichter picked that article up and ran with it. And I saw why he did that, and I started to really see kind of how these you know arms dealing in the culture war is what they're doing. That's what hmm. the media's job is—they're arms dealers. And um, sure. they now, now that I see how that works, it's like if your money comes from arms dealing, it's like you can't stop selling arms. Yeah. And and so that's what scares me more than anything yeah. else is yeah. it's like it's like I see the the you know I see kind of what's going on with the academia thing and and I see that kind of stuff and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing. I don't think anybody in that is going to end up start shooting each other.
1: Yeah, no. I think in well, the overall the overall on thing Twitter, I, you know, but
0: yeah, but see you know the neat thing think about Twitter everybody's freaking out about like getting twitter mobbed. Yeah, I keep wondering what I would do if I got twitter mobbed and I know what I'd do. <laughs> I'd turn my phone off.
1: <laughs> oh no, <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, like... I wonder.
1: I wonder if there's a business business model for instead of selling arms, you, you sell flowers, but flowers with thorns in them. You know, just enough blood is going to be <laughs> leaked from these things that it, you know, it, right. it, it's not a car crash, but it's enough blood for everybody to look at. I'll look at that paper cut. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, the other thing about Twitter is it's. I mean, it's so full of bots anyway. How do you even know the mob is real? Yeah. You could. You could well, hire a Twitter mob yeah. if you were, you know, yeah. you, you know if you've got some money. I mean, like I, yeah. both Hillary and Trump, both, yeah. most of their, not most, I think it was like I read it was like 15% for one yeah. and 20 or 25% for the other mm. were, of their total tweets were literally robots. Both of them were doing mm. it. Mm. I don't even know a Twitter mob is real.
1: Yeah.
0: People yeah. are uninstalling their Twitter because they're afraid of getting bad comments. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Those comments are, were designed you, to be da-
0: bad <laughs> Yeah, they were, why not, you know mm-hmm. Or maybe you can make the Twitter mob become ineffective by monetizing Twitter mobs There's an mm-hmm. interesting, like, free market idea If you could you build mean? yourself a, a build a botnet with a thousand Twitter accounts and then hire yourself out And then once you get mm-hmm. caught, then everybody may, oh my, this Twitter mob was fake Well, if that one's fake, maybe I'm not worried about the next one
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Like,
1: yeah, but you still have people like uh, people with good ideas who you were talking about very beginning, Scott Alexander. Oh yeah, who still keeps below ground because he's scared of an actual backlash that will affect yeah. his job. Well, I
0: mean, I don't think he's—I uh, don't mean scared. Well, okay, because he—he—he's not. Um, well, I mean, he just wants to make sure that he's insulated from any of that garbage. He doesn't even do Twitter anymore. I looked him up on Twitter and tweeted in like half a year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and uh, huh. and and he just he just runs a website. The only yeah. thing that could possibly come back to him is a denial-of-service attack on his website. Like, yeah. oh, no, like I guess I'll reboot my website. Oh, yeah. well.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. And And, um, you know, and by the way, definitely go look into that guy. That guy's I very will... – he's, he's smarter than me <laughs> by a long shot. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, if you're smarter than me, then he's super smart then. Well, I, I, know I, I don't know how smart I am, but I know that you – know,
0: <laughs> like, like, it's like you go into – you go into online communities a lot of times you can kind of take the lay of the landscape and it's, and it, most of the time when I walk into them, I'm like, okay, there's a few people here that are really worth listening to, but most people are just full of garbage. And then, you know, you throw ideas out there and half the thing I post on, you know, forums is stuff. I don't even believe I'm just kind of curious what people say, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, but if, if people are, from who follow the 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 community that's involved with slate star codex if they disagree with about something chances are really good I'm wrong and I need to pay attention.
1: Hmm.
0: And I really value that.
1: Hmm. I value that a lot. So surround so. yourself with a community that can vet you and vet your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah.
0: Try and be trying hang around smarter people than you. It's yeah. a really good practice. It's a really good practice.
1: Absolutely.